Welcome to the Tally Room Podcast, I'm Ben Rowie. In today's episode, we'll be discussing the results of yesterday's Victorian state election, which saw Labor re-elected with an increased majority. I'm joined by two guests today. My first guest is Stuart Jackson. Stuart is a lecturer in politics at the University of Sydney. Hello, Stuart. Hi, Ben. Hi, Paddy. And my second guest is Paddy Manning. Paddy is a writer for The Monthly. Hello, Paddy. Hi, Ben. Hi, Stuart. This episode's all about the Victorian election, uh, which happened yesterday. We're recording this on Sunday evening. The Victorian Labor government, led by Premier Daniel Andrews, was re-elected to a second term in office yesterday with an increased majority. The government came into the election holding a slim majority of 45 seats out of 88 in the Legislative Assembly. They now hold at least 52 seats with a chance in 10 others. There are a large number of seats which remain in play and it will take days for the result to become clear in terms of scale, even though we know which side will form government. It's possible Labor will get close to winning 62 seats, which is the result that they got at the 2002 landslide victory. There was a moment last night where it appeared that a string of traditional Liberal seats in the inner southeast, like Brighton, Hawthorne and Sandringham, were all falling to Labor. But the swing was much less severe in the pre-poll votes when they came in late in the evening, which has helped pull some of those seats back from the brink, although some are still in play. And we also have... Uh, a number of results from Greens races where the Greens have likely lost their seat of Northcote uh, and they're likely to hold on in Melbourne, but the races of Brunswick and Pran are very close and we're bound to talk about those. Paddy, what do you think this result says about um, the kind of the campaigns that the two major parties uh, conducted in this election? Uh, well, I think in the Liberals' case, um, I think it confirms that there's a, you know, especially clearly obviously in Victoria, an absolute revulsion at the Liberal Party and the, however described as the hard right or the Abbott, you know, slash Dutton, like, you know, forces that, you know, topple Malcolm Turnbull or the, you know, the religious right, um, they are completely unrepresentative um, of, you know, the middle Australia and um, and you've seen that in, in the results and I don't think there's any getting away from that. The fact that the state result here reflects, you know, the coup against uh, you know, disappointment with the coup against Turnbull, you know, no interest in Morrison. And then it also reflects the failure of Matthew Guy's opposition to get traction around issues of law and order, um, which, you know, fringe into, you know, race baiting very quickly. Um, and um, I thought that there was, a, a, there was a chance that the Burke Street terrorist attack would somehow be like a kind of 10-flag moment or a tamper moment for the Liberals. Peter Credlin, in her commentary, I saw on Twitter, you know, a little outtake from her, you know, one of her Sky News panels, you know, Peter Credlin suggesting that maybe the opposition didn't politicise that moment enough when it was revealed that, you know, Shire Ali had back been out on bail and then they made more you know, political capital out of that. Well, in any case, Victorian voters have completely rejected uh, that entire uh, race politics, um, law and order, um, fear and division, as um, Dan Andrews said in his um, victory speech last night. And um, that's a thumping, thumping win uh, for the centre, uh, it seems to me, and a thumping rejection of, um, you know, the increasingly um, extreme right wing of the Liberal Party. I noted on the night, I mean, someone asked me the day before who I thought was going to win, and I said, uh, it'll be Labor. I didn't see how the Liberal Party had a path to victory, um, particularly as it became increasingly 
um, obvious that that Matthew Guy was becoming desperate. Uh, the fact that when the, the last few days were starting to sound increasingly desperate, at that point you go, well, maybe they have nothing to offer at this point. Um, and Andrews was looking increasingly secure. Um, the results themselves, I mean, some of the swings uh, on the night were huge, um, certainly in a Victorian setting, perhaps less so in some of the other states. Here I'm thinking of the last Queensland election. Um, but nonetheless, some of the swings were considerable, and I don't think were actually expected at that level. So, you know, what have we seen overall? Um, yes, and a resounding defeat for the Liberal Party, a resounding defeat for some of the memes or uh, policy points that have been put up by the Federal Liberal Party. Um, so that didn't play out well. So that actually perhaps says the next federal election will be another bad day at the office for the Liberal Party in Victoria. They can't afford to lose any more seats in Victoria. I mean, not that they have that many to look but they've got a few to lose, obviously. But it's a bad sign to start off. Um, they would have thought they could come at least close, you know, not lose any seats, maybe pick up a seat, maybe push the um, the election into, you know, or they'll have to have a coalition with the Greens and then they could have uh, make some hay with that. But no, that's not going to happen. It's going to be a Labor government. Yeah, I think we should credit the um, Labor campaign as well. I think there's a political genius behind this, you know, level crossings, just kind of slowly, slowly upticking each one. Um, you know, a, a unique kind of selling point for Labor. It's just a fantastic agenda around infrastructure spending. I mean, the election shows that even if you are, if you do double the state debt, the public's behind that spending. You know, we need to invest, whether it's, you know, roads and rail, and then there's support for renewables, and then there's those, as you say, those some of those cultural wars issues like safe schools and, you know, injecting rooms. And it's quite an inspiring agenda that Dan Andrews has put together and, yeah, resoundingly endorsed um, through this you know, I mean, I was talking to one of the, you know, not to mention the Greens at this point necessarily, but I was talking to one of the Greens candidates who said, if we'd announced the $60 billion rail loop um, that was going to be delivered in 2050, we would have been laughed at. But the fact is, the public, you know, with a government with a track record of delivering, puts up a serious proposal like that, um, that is forward thinking, you know, they get points for it. There's one other thing that, that I know was picked up by a couple of people here in New South Wales, um, and certainly you know, my own partner sort of said, wow, this is a really good one, which was around wage theft. Um, so criminalising wage, wage theft from um, companies, uh, even though there might be some operationalization issues with it, uh, actually, I also think that was one of those sort of sleeper issues. You go, wow, actually taking this seriously whole bunch of people being ripped off from their wages. And it follows, you know, if you like, the left union line um, that the, the selling menaces of the world will um, pull out. But at the same time, I think it's, there's a, there was a, a raft of issues. I always was a bit surprised about um, the fact that uh, Victoria had so many level crossings and it was such a problem. Um, albeit, you know, I grew up in Western Australia, which didn't have many railway lines, and where it did, there was a limited, only a limited number of um, level crossings left. Um, so, you know, in one sense, to me, it struck me as, yeah, that's long overdue. And the fact is that they're the, probably, the, well, the second government to start actually working on fixing the, the problem that's existed for a long time. Doesn't mean that it's not a vote winner, but it's more to the case, it's a, a piece of work that's been left over from far too long ago. We had this moment last night where a whole bunch of these uh, liberal seats like Sandringham and Brighton and Hawthorne were swinging so hard and 
they came back a little way. Having said that, Sandringham and and uh, Hawthorne are still in play, um, but it they did remind me of. Uh, I think there's limits to how much you can compare state and federal politics, but it did remind me of the result in Wentworth, where an area that's kind of the wealthy, educated liberal voter. Uh, maybe a bit alienated by the Liberal Party's turn after removing Malcolm Turnbull, looking elsewhere, and it kind of came as a bit of a surprise. Like if if Labor gets to the 62 seats that um, they held in 2002, which there's a small chance they could if, if everything goes their way, um, that picture would look quite different. You know, a lot more seats that are in the city, wealthy, educated electorates, and a few less of those sort of outer suburban seats. So I don't know if that's suggesting a bit of a shift in the alignment of politics in Victoria or Australia generally, or just, you know, as the Liberal Party heads towards an election defeat, this is the way that this one's going to happen. So the Greens uh, ran hard in five electorates. It looks at the moment like they've won one and they have a chance in two others. Um, maybe I'd start with Paddy because you've been down in Victoria in the last couple of days. Richmond. So Richmond was one of those five seats. It was the only one where they had basically like no chance on the night. I believe that Labor vote 2PP is up around 57%. It's also the place where the Liberal Party decided not to run. Uh, and so there was a sense that that was going to be helpful for the Greens. I don't know if maybe people have changed their opinions about that now, but what, what's your take on what happened in Richmond? Uh, well, a couple of things. They threw a huge amount. The Labor threw a huge amount of money at it. And, um, you know, uh, so the the number that was being talked about by the Greens last night was half a million dollars. Um, so huge resources to defend, you know, a sitting minister. Uh, and, you know, former PM Paul Keating come down to, um, you know, endorse him, you know, just in the last, I think, in the last week. Yeah, so that, that's one thing. Secondly, they in the, they they wound up thinking that um, not having a Liberal candidate actually didn't help them and that um, there was, first of all, there was a whole lot of kind of shenanigans with a um, Liberal Party member who was running as an independent. Uh, but there were people handing out on booths in Richmond uh, with Liberal Party hats. Um, Dick Wynn himself, when he was, you know, the Labor Party MP, when he was, you know, handing out was apparently directing people over to, yeah, there's a Liberal candidate over there. There's a Liberal candidate over there. So if you want your Liberal ticket. Anyway, so he was a firm Liberal Party member running, and I think he pulled about 6% of the primaries and then directed those preferences to Labor. A lot of voters have clearly gone straight from Liberal to Labor um, in the absence of, a, you know, a, an endorsed Liberal candidate. Um, and, yeah, the Greens certainly came away with a feeling that, um, yeah, it hadn't really helped them at all, the absence of a Liberal candidate in Richmond yesterday. Stuart, what are your thoughts on the, the Green seats in, in Melbourne and, and how they did? Well, it will be a little disappointing, even though there were some small swings to the Greens on primary. Uh, and indeed, you know, if you look at the seat of Northcote and the seat of uh, Brunswick, they actually did have, you know, on the on the last election, 2014 figures had small swings to them on the two-party preferred, but just not enough. Um, looking at, uh, say, Richmond, Richmond's been a target of theirs for a long time. I can remember Gurm Sekon running there many, many years ago. Uh, indeed, he was a local councillor uh, in Richmond. Um, it should be a seat um, that the Greens could win. But what do you do when someone spends reputedly half a million dollars uh, to defend it? That's a lot of money. It can buy a lot of space and time and people and materials, and you can do a lot of work with that. Um, I've been wondering, you know, given that uh, the amount that's being spent 
and Victorian elections is unregulated in the same or not in the same way as it is in New South Wales, where expenditure is actually capped in individual electorates. And I know from New South Wales from the last election, um, certainly people like Penny Sharp, were, who uh, was contesting uh, Newtown, were saying, you know, actually it made it really hard. Suddenly there was almost a level playing field in terms of how much money you could spend, and that made a difference. And I can't help feeling that, you know, the, the Victorian Greens, if you like, have simply been outspent um, dramatically in the seats that they hoped they could hold. Uh, now, for the for the Labor Party, not having a uh, Liberal candidate there was actually really useful. They got a, you know, Richard Wynne gets a 12% swing to him on primaries. And that's a pretty significant swing to you just off primaries. So there's a lot of Liberal voters have ended up with Labor. Um, that's made it a lot easier for them to win that seat. You know, sitting on 45-odd percent primary, um, difficult to uh, knock someone off when they're on 45 percent primary. For the others, yes, there'll be disappointment around um, Northcote, but Northcote was a by-election. And we know that by-elections are difficult. You know, what you can win them in a by-election, but then it's difficult to then uh, defend them. Um, that's always been the, you know, the litmus test, if you like. I'm somewhat more interested in seats like um, Pran. I want to see what happens in um, Pran, given that the, it's very, very tight there. Uh, there is the possibility, depending on what votes are still to come in, that Sam Hibbins could get past Neil Farrow again, um, and it will be a bit of a rerun of what happened uh, at the last election. I mean, it's 280-odd votes in it. Let's pause on that for a second because it is um, it is a very close race uh, in Pran. And what is interesting is there's been this big swing against the Liberal Party and a swing towards both Labor and the Greens. And that's basically taken the Liberal Party out of the race, whereas last time the Liberals came very mm. close to winning. But last time around, the Labor primary vote was 1.1% higher than the Greens and the Greens overtook Labor on preferences from minor candidates. At the moment, that so the last time the gap was 1.1. Right now, the gap is 1.3%. So it wouldn't take very much for the Greens to end up in a position where you could imagine them overtaking Labor again. But whichever of Labor or Greens comes second on the primaries is almost certainly going to win because there has been that big shift against the Liberals. So it's a really interesting race, and it's remarkable how similar it is to last time, uh, that not very much has changed in terms of that, that Labor-Greens balance that kind of reflects almost this sort of stalemate in terms of politics in the in the inner north and the inner south of, of Melbourne that, you know, the, the detail has changed, but the kind of balance of power doesn't appear to have changed very much. Yeah, no, I'd agree. Um, what's interesting about seats like Pran is, is the big swing, a 10% swing on primary against the Liberal Party. Uh, it's like, oh, well, people were, ha were, were previously moderately happy with the Liberal Party there, but now suddenly it's no longer this safe area. In fact, it's a distinctly unsafe area. Of course, there is that question about what will happen with preferences. Um, I think unlike in other seats, Sam has the uh, at least good fortune of being the sitting MP, which will garner him some extra seats. And I was looking at the um, VEC site and there's a lot of things like provisionals uh, and absentees to come in. In fact, they're all to come in. So I'm thinking that, he, that Sam might actually do even a little bit better uh, on those votes, but you know that one's uh, that one's out there to play. Uh, we'll just have to see what happens as it goes along. Yeah, he got the biggest swing of any of the Greens in those inner city seats. Um, you know, he was up, I think, up four percent the last number I, last number I saw uh, towards him. 
um, he's obviously got some, you know, and, and it was market actually hanging around on the pre-polling um, in the last few days that the coverage, you know, the train wreck coverage that the Greens were getting uh, was not necessarily reflected in the um, in the mood on the ground. It really did seem that the issues of alleged rape, sexual harassment, um, allegations from a while back, you know, the kind of shit posting kind of scandals that broke out, um, you know, none of that was actually the issues that were being raised very often, according to the candidates, on the actual pre-poll booths. So, and and it's kind of reflected in the um, primary votes that you see in that, in that most of those candidates, certainly Lydia, Tim Reid in Brunswick, um, you know, Sam Hibbins in Paran, have got small swings to them, you know, uh, and and in Sam's case, it's not a bad swing at all, 4%, you know, uh, based on the primary vote last time. Certainly the Greens last night were um, not riding off Northcote. The vibe on the ground in Northcote was that um, the really intensely negative campaign that had been run was going to backfire. I know that everyone's giving away Northcote pretty much, but the Greens certainly weren't last night. And, um, yeah, they've, they've put out a big call for scrutineers. They're saying this is going to be the, you know, an epic count. Um, just as Sam Hibbins was last time in Paran, this is going to go down to the wire uh, in those, um, certainly at least in those two seats, uh, Paran and Brunswick and, you know, potentially also Northcote. And they were, they were more optimistic than any of the, any of the commentary that we've seen. Yeah, did the dirt campaign against the Greens really succeed? Even, um, you know, Angus um, in Footscray, um, he has got, you know, who was who the former rapper, you know, plumber from Ballarat, who um, has, you know, been on a journey, as the Greens have said, you know, uh, from, you know, writing uh, previously, um, you know, intensely misogynist, lyrics talking about day rape and so forth that are that are appalling and more recently you know posting about pretty atrocious stuff and he he has and this is was being seen last night as a bit of a almost like an anti-politics kind of um vote he has actually had a little swing i think to him uh his primary vote in footscray um has actually gone up now i'm not defending he himself he has apologized um and the party has accepted that you know, um, you know there are there are problems with it with its with their vetting processes. Um, you know there are questions about what the state party actually knew about you know his old rap lyrics uh, and and whether there was a good enough vetting process. And there's a whole debate about whether or not the party should or should not have stood by him. But but just on the numbers, his primary vote didn't tank. You know by by contrast in Sandringham. Certainly, it did, and uh, and in other seats, you know, the Greens, the primary vote has actually held up. So you've got a sort of question mark. Although, you know, there's a lot of finger pointing at Labor about an undoubtedly dirty campaign that was that was run in those you know, city seats, and you know, a dirt unit that was trawling over people's posts way back, you know, uh, candidates' posts and staffs' posts, you know, way back back into years. So there's obviously a huge effort's gone into into turning up dirt on on those greens. Nevertheless, it doesn't seem that it's had that much of an impact on green support. It's only a question of whether or not it's, you know, people that have switched from Liberal to Labor, some proportion of them might have voted green if um if there had, 
you know, not been so much scandal surrounding the campaign. So you could you could say an overall overwhelming landslide to you know win to Labor and the Greens taking a one percent knock um, is not so bad, even if it does result in the loss of seats. So the the Greens have lost lost support. It's like one point six, one point seven percent swing against them. But you're right that it's not a particularly concentrated swing in the inner cities except for except for Richmond. So I do wonder if um and even then that's a that's not a primary vote swing. So I, I do suspect, I haven't looked at all the numbers yet, but I suspect we'll find that the swing against them was concentrated in other areas, maybe not the areas where they particularly wanted to do particularly well. We have seen that in the last few elections in Victoria that the Greens vote not necessarily going up, but it's going up in the right places while going down elsewhere. So I wouldn't be surprised if the result of this is actually like the Greens didn't do too badly in the lower house. They had a they had a tough election, didn't go super well for them, but they didn't they didn't go too badly in the lower house in their key seats, but their vote becomes more concentrated in those kind of inner city areas. Yeah. And they might hang on. Yeah, and they may well end up with as many or I mean if Northcote comes back into play, they could end up with more seats. I think that's unlikely, mm. but they could end up with more seats than they started the night with. So um, I want to just touch on briefly a couple of other things. Pre-poll was very high. Uh, the last count was about 1.39 million votes cast through early voting, plus 250,000 postal votes. That compares to just over 900,000 pre-poll votes the last election. So we've been seeing this trend increasing again and again, and we're going to have to look at the data when it's all in, but it does seem like there was a bit of a, uh, the Liberal Party did relatively well in the pre-poll vote compared to the election day vote. And that reflects that similar to what we saw in the uh, Wentworth by-election. So there might be something there in terms of how we adjust for that bias when we're projecting election results. Um, but that that was interesting. And it's a, you know, it's not just a Victorian trend, it's everywhere, but we're now at a point where a very large proportion of the Victorian electorate uh, has voted before Election Day. Well, as I mentioned before, I definitely think there is, A, a lot of votes to count, um, and B, you know, some of those seats are only sitting at, you know, 50 or 70% um, counted. So there's clearly plenty of votes out there. And that'll be in your absentees, your provisionals. Uh, there'll be some more postals to come in as well. So I actually think that, you know, for Greens, it could be okay, uh, and I all the usual caveats on that. In the lower house. In the lower house. Um, the upper house, is, well, we'll talk about the upper house we'll, in a minute. We'll get to the upper house in a minute. Yeah. yeah. The upper house is going to be a, a really a doozy, but in terms of the lower house, the Greens vote held up in the inner city uh, in a way that you might have thought the all the um, dirt sheeting, etc., coming from the um, Labor Party might have actually hurt it. Um, I think it probably hurt it in terms of preferences from other parties uh, and certainly from people who are not voting directly for the Greens. Um, and I also uh, think it, what it probably did was suppress any um, perhaps green swings, you know, swings to the Greens. But at the same time, you know, if, if people are saying, no, Labor's going to win and they, they, they're saying we want Labor to win because we want to smash the Liberals... Um, Greens can get squashed in that simply because, you know, we're not the uh, smashers of Liberals like the Labor Party is. Um, so you've got to be, you know, at least mindful that maybe uh, that the, all the dirt campaign did have an effect in terms of suppressing any swing to the Greens. Not that I necessarily think there would have been a huge swing, but whatever there was was probably um, suppressed. There are a number of seats where independents have done quite well. Mm. It looks like an independent... Uh, has a good chance of winning in Morwell. That's Russell North, the um, sitting MP who was previously a national. Uh, 
The Independent in Mildura is doing very well. There's also Independence in Ovens Valley and Benambra who have a chance, and we're going to have to wait for some counting to progress there. But it does seem like, again, we are seeing a bit of a trend of Independence, particularly rural Independence, getting stronger. You know, if, if all those seats were won, you would have five rural Independents in the Parliament. So it does sort of suggest, along with, you know, the Wagga Wagga by-election a few months ago, we may be seeing the size of these crossbenches get bigger with more rural independents in them. But having said that, Mildura's had a, a sitting in, uh, independent before in Russell Savage. So that's one, you know, where you can go, oh, maybe they're just a little bit more indie-minded. Um, and, you know, they are, at the end of the day, generally more conservative. But Mildura's one of those seats which, I mean, in one sense is a bit, you know, like perhaps Wagga, but perhaps like um, seats that have a large urban area in it, so you have a solid Labor vote there, plus lots of workers end up going there because you're fruit picking and all the usual stuff. So it's a seat that I would be going, that's one that could move around a little bit in the way that um, it, the way that it used to be around places like Griffith when you had large numbers of workers um, there for harvesting and the like. So, I, you know, it's a seat that could go either way. Some of the others, however, yes, there is this conservative independent trend we're seeing at the moment. Um, I wait to see if it holds up you know, into other elections, and indeed, if they end up winning, I mean, it may well be that on the day people said, "Oh, stuff the Nationals and the Liberal Party. We're going to vote for uh, um, independence, even if it's you know a current independent." Hmm. So the Victorian Legislative Council campaign has been dominated by an effort by a group of fourteen parties to stitch up a preference deals to help them win. These deals have been helped by Labor preferencing some of the most likely parties in that group very highly, including above the Greens. At the moment, it appears likely that a large group of crossbenchers will be elected, including members of Darren Hinch's Justice Party, the Transport Matters Party, the Liberal Democrats, and the Aussie Battler Party. Uh, by, by the latest count I've seen, so Anthony Green's calculator is giving 10 seats away to this group of parties, uh, while another version I've seen is giving eight seats away, but obviously there's a lot of flux there. It also appears quite possible that the Greens could be reduced as far as down to a single seat, which would be their North Metro seat. Uh, Stuart, what stands out for you from what you've seen of the upper house results so far? From what I've seen so far, A, there's a lot of counting to go. There's the, Obviously, it's not nearly as well advanced as in the lower house, right? obviously about government. So I actually think there could be a lot of movement in terms of who's winning and who's not winning. Um, one of the things that did, did strike me, and, I'm, and this is... Uh, you know, when you have group voting tickets, you have these cabals of, of minor parties operating. Uh, it is possible to get outside wins. So Transport Matters um, is sitting on, I think, in one of the one of the regions at 0.6 and is likely to win a seat of 0.6 of a percent, which is 0.04 of a quota. So, you know, one twentieth a quota gets you a, a seat. Um, that's a little bit absurd. I mean, we've been through these debates uh, uh, in terms of the Senate and the like. Uh, it's always favourable for the Labour Party to corral or to have these multiple little parties there than one block party like the Greens. And so they'll always try and break it up. And that's part of their concerted attempt to uh, get rid of the Greens in reality. Um, Greens can't do that much for them, so they'll just attempt to get get rid of them. Um that said, uh, Hinch does appear to be on the, on track to perhaps pick up a couple of seats. You know, coming off six, seven percent in some areas, that's actually a good a good 
um, vote. Uh, you know, if you get beaten by, you know, you're on nine and someone else is on seven and you get done on the, the preferences, perhaps that's not so bad. Of course, for the Greens, last time was not quite such a, a lottery. Last time was very favourable to them. Um, thus, they ended up with five seats. Of course, that's really hard to replicate second time round. And indeed, they won. They won five seats up from three, despite actually losing votes. So that's right. That's vote right. Went down, and their seat count went up. That's the lottery, if you like, uh, effect of um, group voting tickets, where it might spread out. You might get lucky here and there. Um, one of the things that is important to note, though, is that both um, animal justice, but particularly, sorry, Victorian socialist animal justice, and um, a, a reason uh, have and this is particularly for socialists and reason, more than 50% of their vote is below the line. I was surprised at how high it was in terms of reason, and that's consistent across uh, all the areas they were running in. Um, socialists, yes, you know, 30%. Um, Animal Justice Party at around 20%. Indeed, there was about, you know, for most parties other than the Liberal Party, you know, which had about, you know, 4 or 5% below line, all the others were running 10 to 15 to 20%. Um, there's going to be a lot of votes flying in a lot of different directions. And given that, that sort of preference harvesting really does require some relatively tight holds in there. If you start leaking, you know, 10, 20% of your, um, you know, collected quota, that could start changing some of the flows, particularly if it starts to push the Greens a bit further ahead or Labor a bit further ahead. So you again have to watch out for what will happen with the plethora of, of below the line votes flying everywhere. I think it might hurt. So with my analysis of the below-the-line votes, uh, I found that so it's about 10% of votes at the moment are below the line, and that compares to 6% of the last election and 4% of the one before that. So we are seeing a big spike in people choosing their own preferences. And what's interesting is actually, yeah, you're right, the Liberal Party has a very low um, preference flow. Uh, the Liberal Party has a very low below-the-line rate, but... Uh, generally, the minor parties, including a lot of these parties that rely on being able to swap 100% of their preferences, they have relatively high rates of below-the-line votes. So I know, for example, in East Victoria, the, the Aussie Battler Party who has a chance there, that's kind of reliant on getting a bunch of preferences from parties. In, in one case, Labor surplus, which may disappear if the Labor vote drops on late counting, but also uh, like... It's relying on votes from other minor parties that actually are below the line votes that could well favour someone else. So I think it will possibly cost a couple of them their seats, but it, there will still be a lot of minor parties elected. Oh, yeah. No, I completely agree. And, you know, I've, there's been no move from the Labor Party in Victoria to get rid of the group voting ticket. I think they quite like the idea. The um, Labor Party would be quite happy to retain the group voting ticket if it breaks up the block of the Greens. Um, if they would move on it, it could make a difference. But I saw the the reaction of people like you know, Van Badham um, on various media outlets when the changes were going through for the Senate uh, a couple of years ago, and I rather suspect that there's now this idea that you know you can use the group voting ticket, rely on your big core primary vote, and use it to you know favour one set over the other, and then call those favours in at a later date. So I don't know if we'll see a change to the group voting ticket. We did in South Australia. We have seen it federally. Um, WA Victoria still ha hanging on to it. Um, but of course, you know, swings and roundabouts, that can all change. 
Well, I'm just hanging around on the um, booth at Sunshine out in the Western Metro region on Friday with Sam Ratnam and Caesar Mellon was there from Labor. And Caesar was saying that there is an absolute realisation now. The model has become so commercialised by Drury, you know, with him charging $50,000 per seat, uh, theoretically, to get people in with a primary vote as little as 0.3%. And Mellon was certainly saying that, yeah, the party is going to move on it now and there's a bipartisan agreement that this has got to be stopped and a realisation, no one had really properly paid attention, but a realisation that Victoria is maybe out of step now with the rest of the country on this. And Sam Ratnam to the Victorian Greens leader was certainly saying, yeah, there's an appetite to, across the board, to fix this system because it is basically corrupted. Oh, well, that's well, that's good that's, to hear. That's some breaking news there, I think. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I took it. It's only, it's, it's an informal conversation. Um, and of course, he's not, you know, but, uh, but in any case, um, yeah, I take it that there is a genuine intention um, to move on that. Well, I mean, if Labor does want to move on it, it will be interesting in terms of um, what, whether the votes are there for it. Well, if if the Liberal Party is there, there will be the votes, but more more problematically for them, whether they can maintain their relationship with that crossbench while voting to remove the system which helped them get elected. That was this, you know, big dilemma for the Turnbull government and their solution was to call a double dissolution, which we all know how that ended. Um, but it, it will be interesting to see if someone like Fiona Patton can find a way to get re-elected in North Metro, where currently she's on track not to get elected, but she's she's made a bunch of statements pretty clearly saying that she's not happy with the system and she doesn't think it works, uh, and sort of implying that she feels like she was a bit screwed out of the of the deal making that was happening. You end up with her, you end up with one or two Greens. You could end up with a situation where Labor goes, look, we we can ignore the rest of this crossbench because we've done so well in this election. You know, I could imagine something like that happening, uh, but it is a—it's a genuine dilemma. I mean, it's a dilemma anytime you try and change a voting system that it has been favourable to the people who've been elected under it. Um, but uh, it will be—I'm I'm sure there will be increased pressure in Victoria to change the system in the next term. I, I would hope so. I mean, it's the classic of when you look at. Uh, where some of the votes go, you know, and you find that, you know, Australian Liberty Alliance votes, you know, um, in, I think this is in East, East, uh, North Metropolitan, are flowing to Darren Hinch, you know, who, who probably are not the most, you know, friendly of parties. So you do get some, uh, if you like, perverse outcomes from these sorts of preference deals. Paddy, do you have any other thoughts about what what this means for the Greens? You know, if they end up only having one member of the upper house, you know, maybe their lower house result turns out quite well and they end up with, you know, two, three, four lower house MPs, but they're, they're kind of the decimation in the upper house that's always been kind of the core for, for a Greens party. Yeah, there's one is that this is a, you know, unmitigated disaster and it can't be sugar-coated and the party's going to have to, um, you know, have a real kind of moment of reckoning uh, because if they, let's just say on a worst-case scenario, they go from a party room of eight to a party room of two, um, well, you can't point the finger at Labor, um, you can't point the finger at Glenn Drury, you have to go, what are we doing wrong here? And um, that will be devastating because the heartland of the Greens now in terms of its electoral success um, and it would be, um, you know, it carries all sorts of implications for um, the next federal election and it also, uh, you know, raises questions about 
uh, you know, the leadership, the party's processes, um, you know, candidate selection. Uh, you know, obviously there will be a bout of analysis, but I just want to sort of park that idea because I don't think that, um, you know, we, we, you know, we, the numbers aren't in, obviously, clearly. So, um, you know, plus there will be the disappointment of losing great, you know, great new candidates, I mean, a good old can, uh, old, but also, you know, new people like Hong Trong and um, um, Lydia Thorpe, um, who were, you know, a real um, asset to, um, you know, the Victorian Parliament, um, even in the short time that they've been there. So, um, and then the whole kind of question of the woman, you know, what is the Greens' problem um, with uh, the way it deals with, Allegate, you know, complaints of sexual harassment, bullying, uh, slash assault, um, and uh, and you know, why is that in a party that has got such a history of strong um, representation of women, um, state and federal, um, you know, going back decades? Why is that happening? Why does this why does this keep coming up in this party, and it's not just in this? One Victorian election, obviously, there's problems in New South Wales. It's come up in WA. It's, there's a string of there's a string of issues. So it's a it's a it's a going to be it could but could well turn into an absolute um you know um, disaster for the Greens. Uh, it seems to me this particular um, state election. And I can also imagine it being a catalyst though that these issues have been bubbling along for a little while and they've blown up recently. And now we have this kind of major election where the Greens have done badly in terms of seat numbers possibly um and whether that's the reason or not i think it will it will play into the the discussion of what the greens want to do about that uh, keep in mind that the reason why the greens each time have had troubles with uh, perhaps candidates perhaps um, members of the party or perhaps you know senior members of the party uh, when they do get into a spot of bother, whether it be because there's alleged abuse, there is alleged assault, there may well be rape involved, there may be a whole range of different um, uh, problems, you know, criminal acts in, in some cases, uh, there's always the party reverts to, we have to deal with due process. So it always says, but we have to leave them as, you know, where they are, until we've gone through a due process, perhaps through the courts, they're innocent until proven guilty. It goes on through that each time. Um, and that's the focus on due process. And yet, with these most recent, well, not that recent allegations, but them coming forward at this point, the point has been made repeatedly that the party uh, already has, if you like, a problem with women. It's not enough that you have people elected. The internal culture of the party that allows you to get away with that is where you have a problem. So you actually have to stamp it out and say it's unfortunate, but you shouldn't be able to get away with this. Even if you are innocent, the fact is that you are tainted at that point. This is politics. At the end of the day, the Labor Party is able to deal with it very effectively by stamping on it immediately and saying, we don't accept this. Um, you know, you certainly in the case of Luke Foley, you know, there was a witness, bang, gone, done. But even if there hadn't been, the taint is enough. This is, if we remember, what got um, uh, Robertson, well, lost him his uh, leadership and indeed out of Parliament, was that letter 
uh, that his staff had signed on or delivered to him on his constituents' behalf. So, you know, you have to carry the responsibility for what happens. If you're caught in that position, you then have a particular responsibility to step away. It may be that you can be rehabilitated, but you can't just say, I'm innocent until someone proves me guilty. I don't think that washes anymore within the party, I hope not, and it certainly doesn't wash with the rest of the electorate. If you're perceived as someone that is tainted, you do need to act on it, and I think the party has to deal with that sooner rather than later. I sound strong on this because I'm actually furious about the way it's been dealt with in New South Wales and the forms of defence that have been put up, I think, are appalling. That said... I've also studied a certain amount of what goes on in the, in the party in terms of its attitudes towards women. Most people think there is no problem with the attitudes towards women to the extent that they say, oh, well, it's all right, we'll have a women's SDC. You know what happens at a women's SDC? Men talk for 50% of the time. That doesn't strike me as somehow uh, making space for women to uh, speak within the party. It's because it appears as if they're speaking more than they usually are. So there's a couple of cultural issues that need to be dealt with there. In terms of Victoria losing badly, I don't think they have. Even if they lose seats, this is part of the swings and roundabouts of electoral politics. WA has done the whole hoopla from, you know, it goes from uh, 1 to 3 to 5, back down to 2 and then up to 4. Then it, it swung around repeatedly. I think that's, you know, that, that's just the nature of electoral politics. I seem to remember a, a few years ago in WA there was uh, this, this um, call that the, the Labour Party there was completely finished. They got 26% in the Senate. And it's like, what's going on with the Labour Party? It's all over. And yet it's not. And now they are in government in Western Australia. So you have to be able to look at it and go, you will get swings and roundabouts. You do have to look at your processes and you've got to think about how you run your campaign. Was it the best campaign? And learn from it. Well, I think that's, that's one of the things, one of the conversations I was having last night was that um, Victoria has not had a reversal before for the Greens. So the Greens have had reversals in other states. They've certainly had them in WA, Tassie, South Australia, you know, um, I'm trying to think whether they've gone backwards in New South Wales, actually. I just can't think. Can't well, they've had a senator, lost a senator, you know. Yes, that's right, <laughs> Kerry Nettle, I suppose. Well, it's always been onwards and upwards, hasn't it? But anyway, in Victoria, they have just had growth, and, uh, you know, particularly post-06 with the electoral reform. And so now this is going to be a this is going to be the first kind of check that the party has had at a state level. Um, and, you know, it could be more than a check. It could be an actual, you know, dramatic reversal. And that is, you know, going by the history of the Greens in other states, you know, they, they, they do have a chance of recovering. You know, there's every chance. It's just that at the moment it does feel as though the Greens are, are in trouble everywhere, not just, um, not just Victoria, not just New South Wales, uh, but also South Australia, Tassie, and, you know, um, okay, maybe to a less extent, you know, WA and maybe they're making gains in Queensland. You know, they're in good shape in ACT perhaps. It's a mixed picture, but um, certainly first major setback in Victoria. So that's about it for this episode of the Tally Room podcast. So thank you to my two guests for joining me. Thanks, Paddy. Thanks, Ben. And thanks, Stuart. No worries. Thanks, Ben. Paddy, you're, you're in the process of writing a book at the moment about the Greens. Yes, that's right. It, it will be called Inside the Greens which um, was a title that I came up with before Four Corners called, the, called their um, program Inside the Greens, just <laughs> FYI. And um, it was only a working title, but nevertheless, 
um, it has turned into probably the actual title. And uh, yeah, that'll be out early next year. And I actually am also working on a book on Joe Valentine. Uh, that won't be out for another year or so. You better not beat me, Stuart. Ah, don't worry. <laughs> I'll be continuing to cover the results of the election over the next week as the picture becomes clearer, so please pay attention um, to the Tally Room website. You can find this podcast on your podcast app of choice. If you like the show, please consider rating or reviewing us on iTunes because it helps other people discover the show. You can follow the Tally Room on Twitter at the Tally Room or like us on Facebook. Information about this podcast is available at tallyroom.com.au and you can email questions or feedback to thetallyroom at gmail.com. Thanks to Chris DeBro for writing the music you hear in this episode. Once again, thanks for listening.